just ask that you would come now. You would meet us here. Lord, we just thank you so much for the work that you're doing in our hearts. We pray that you would just continue to grow us and to those uh, women that you want us to be, Lord. I pray that we would continue to seek your will and not our will. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. Pray that you come, you teach us, we'd be open to hear and see all that you have. And, Lord, we thank you and praise you and lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Colossians 2, and Noreen kind of gave an overview last week of the book of Colossians, but I'm going to touch on a couple of highlights, and you can get her CD for more broad if you missed the study. So here we are, several hundred years before Paul's day. Colossae had been a leading city in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. It was located on the Lycus River on the great uh, east-west trade route leading from Ephesus out of the Aegean Sea to the Euphrates River. Well, by the first century A.D., Colossae was already diminished to a second-rate market town, which had long been surpassed by power and importance by the neighboring cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Uh, What gave Colossae New Testament importance, however, was the fact that during Paul's three-year ministry in, in Ephesus, Uh, Epaphras had been converted, and he had carried the gospel to Colossae. And we know that in Colossians 1, 7, and 8, and Acts 19, 10. The young church um, had been a result um, of of their conversion, but now they were being attacked. Uh, What led led to this was, uh, what led to all of this attack was that, and all of these things were happening. Well, uh, Epaphras visits Paul in Rome, and so we have the penning of the uh, Colossian letter. Perhaps as a result of the efforts of Epaphras and other converts of Paul, uh, Christian churches have already started to pop up. As we know, the letters were being distributed to them. Um, some of them were house churches, as we know in Colossians 4.15 and also in Philemon 2. But most likely, um, the makeup of these were probably uh, primarily Gentile. And then we know this is like the, the prior day city. We all heard of Tri-Cities. You know, we all live in these areas and they have Tri-Cities. Well, this is uh, Bible time Tri-Cities. You had Laodicea, Heropolis, and Colossae. They were famous for their soft wool. And so now Laodicea um, was the chief city in the Roman province of Asia, of Asia, located just south, as you'll see, of Heropolis. So Paul uh, never really tells us. He's not explicit about the false teaching he's opposing in the Colossian letters. The nature of the heresy must be inferred from the statements that we're going to read, um, but he, he did oppose the false teaching. We do know that. Some of the elements that he was, um, his teachings are, were ceremonialism. It held strict rules about what kinds of food and drink they were allowed to have. Their religious festivals, circumcision, um, asceticism, which is, you know, don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. It was practicing strict self-denial um, as a measure of personal and especially spiritual discipline. There was angel worship in, in uh, Colossians 2.18, the depreciation of Christ and secret knowledge, that mysticism that, and the Gnostics had started to uh, infiltrate. They boasted on, on, on this and how, how they had to have these, this secret hidden knowledge and all of these things, and also uh, the reliance on human um, wisdom and tradition. So those are the things that Paul is going to be talking against. 
Um, so then we know that those were probably some of the things starting to infiltrate the church. Um, it seems that most everything falls into two categories, uh, Jewish and Gnostic. It's likely that the Colossian heresy was mixed with some sort of like extreme Judaism and then the early stages of Gnosticism. Uh, Paul's purpose is to prove wrong by argument and by evidence um, the heresy that was going on. But to accomplish this, Paul exalts Christ as the very image of God. We learned that in Colossians 1.15, the creator in Colossians 1.16, the preexistent sustainer of all things in 1.17, the head of the church and the first to be resurrected in 1.18, the fullness of his bo- of, uh, deity in bodily form, 1.19 and 2.9, and the reconciler in 1.20 and 22. Um, what do we know about, so what do we learn just from all of this? That Christ is completely adequate. We've been given the fullness of Christ, and we'll see that in Colossians 2.10. The Colossian heresy was altogether, it was inadequate. It was hollow, it was deceptive philosophy, lacking the ability to restrain that old sinful nature. So the theme of the Colossians is the complete adequacy of Christ as contrasted with the emptiness of the mere human philosophies that were going around. So what do we know? Christ in all and in all Christ. My three points tonight are don't let, don't let no one deceive you. Don't let anyone cheat you. Don't let anyone judge you. And I have to back up just a little teeny bit into chapter one so we can understand when we start uh, chapter two on what Paul's conflict was. So I'm going to go real quick back to 25, Colossians 1, 25 to 29. And this is where Paul says he's been given the responsibility of serving the church by proclaiming the entire message. So he was given that authority to go forth and to proclaim. The message um, was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it was being revealed to God's people. God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ, that they were for the Gentiles, and that this was the secret. Christ lives in you. This was to give them the assurance of sharing in the glory. Paul tells us, um, was telling them about Christ, warning everyone of the teachings and teaching everyone with all wisdom God had given them. Um, he said that he wanted to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I look and I struggle so hard, he says, depending on Christ's mighty power and the work within me. It's Christ and Christ alone. Christ living in you, the indwelling Christ that we just read in 127, and salvation through Christ. The message is Christ. It is through God's given wisdom that it's revealed that we share Christ with others. We point everyone and in every situation back to him and his word. We have an awesome example in Paul and no reason to lack any wisdom. We just need to point everything back to Christ and his word. And I just think, you know, right now, things are just so crazy. And everybody wants human wisdom. People just want to go around and find somebody who will tell them what it is they want to hear. And it's just amazing. I see it more and more and more. And I, you see it right in front of your face. Somebody will ask you something, and you'll say, well, no, do this. And somebody else will say, no, you're right. You're right. You should act like that. I said a situation. This one girl, was she had a dentist appointment, and, and uh, she went, and they charged her an extra 50 bucks. And she called and left them a message. And so she was telling me about it, and I said, well, you know, you ought to be kind. And you ought to let them know that you didn't expect the charge, and on and on. You know, and I shared with this girl and she, and she said, well, maybe I'll try that. 
Okay, well, let me know. Let me know if it works. But that's just it. What she wanted to say and what she wanted somebody else to tell her was she was right. How dare they charge her that money? How dare they, you know, no, 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 no. That's not what it's about. Nor, you know, and for us, nor God would God ever want us to act that way. But anyway, it was just, it's just crazy how, how we just want to hear what we want to hear. We don't want to be corrected. We don't want to be pointed back to Christ. We don't want to go to his word. We just want somebody to give us that. Yep, you're right. You're right, even though you're wrong. So we need to be careful. So anyway, but let's go, let's start our study. Um, in Colossians, uh, let no one deceive you. Uh, verses 1 through 4, it says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in, fle- in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. As we know, Paul had never visited Colossae. He had heard about the church from Epaphras, who was the minister there. He had told Paul of the love that these people had for Jesus and of their faith. But he also told them about the certain things that were starting to come into the church and starting to infiltrate. And so Paul's writing them and warning them against these in verses 1 um, and 2, he says that great conflict. And the word means striving. It comes from the same root word that we, uh, back in 129, both the Colossians and the Laodiceans were among those who Paul struggled so hard for to bring them to maturity. They had a faith. They, they started off in Christ, yet now they were allowing things to, to pull them away. And he, uh, he cared for them as though he did know them personally. Paul was talking about an inner conflict that he had, a love that he had for these people, the desire that he had to actually meet them and see them. And although he hadn't seen them, he was so concerned for them. And I'll tell you what, if I ended my study there, it was like, okay, Lorraine, when was the last time you were in such conflict? When was the last time you strived? When was the last time you prayed like that for somebody? Yeah, you know, I pray. I pray for my unsaved family. I pray for situations. I pray. But when I read this, I was like, wow. When was the last time I truly, truly was so conflicted and had that care and that that concern so deep? Paul did. Paul's prayer was their hearts would be knit together, that the believers would be together in love, and that they would know and, and the full assurance of Christ in them and the hope of their glory. Paul was trying to emphasize the bond that, that, between, that all the believers should have between each other. You know, the heart of a woman is who she really is. What we believe in our hearts really does determine who we are. Acts twenty six twenty eight. if you remember Paul's heart, it says there that he almost persuaded Agrippa to become a Christian. He knew who he was in Christ. He knew where he stood. He almost persuaded him. He was concerned because of the heresies that were spreading, and it was like a plague. And isn't that crazy? Doesn't, don't lies and and everything that is not true just spread like wildflower fire, right? I mean, they do. You, I could tell somebody something, and believe it or not, I mean, it would be like, oh, my gosh, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? And boom, it would be all over and like that. But now if I went and told truth, somebody the truth, I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. And it'd probably stop right there, right? Like a turtle, you know? Or by the time it got to somebody, it'd be like a turtle getting there. But you know what? 
untruths, those are the things that, that fly. Paul wanted to make sure that he got this, nipped it in the bud. It seemed like the people had a strong tendency to be pulled away towards this heresy, and they were reluctant to really follow the truth. You know what happened in Paul's day, and so it even happens today. Paul wanted them to know of their full assurance of understanding, the understanding of the fullness of the gospel. Second Peter 1, 5, 8 says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten and has, been, has not been cleansed from his old sins. The Colossians' minds needed to be instructed in the truth to safeguard them from all of the stuff that was going around. The mystery that Paul review, refers to here is Christ the Messiah. God incarnate himself. First Timothy 3, 316 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up in glory. Romans 10, 9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your hearts that you were made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. We may not understand how salvation works. It's not for us to sit here and ponder. But we do know that we must believe that Jesus paid the price for our salvation. He rose from the dead, and we really must truly believe these things. It's not just something we can say. It's something we have to hold dear to our hearts. We have to truly believe. In verse 3, it says, Are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It doesn't mean that they were unknown. All that says, for not all these treasures um, of wisdom and knowledge are unknown to man. Colossians 1.26 clearly tells us that. But what are they? Hid here signifies that they're laid up, that they're stored away, that they're reserved. Jesus is the source from which all wisdom and knowledge come. But we need to be diligent to seek it out. We need to be, no, we need to study the word. We don't need to just come and sit and listen and then get up and then walk away and then come and sit and listen and not do the word. We need to really seek out what it is. So we can't say, oh, they're all hidden because they're not. They're stored up. They're laid up. We just need to go find them. The false teachers threatening the Colossians were claiming to to possess this secret wisdom and transcendent knowledge available to only those spiritual elite. And in sharp contrast... Paul declared that all the riches of truth necessary for salvation, sanctification, and glorification is found in Jesus, who God revealed. And we find this in John 1, 14, Romans 11, 33 and 36, 1 Corinthians 1, 24, Ephesians 1, 8 and 9, and there's other scriptures we can seek and we can study. All wisdom and knowledge are of God. The wisdom that we obtain is truly a gift from God. God's wisdom is that he graciously shares with us the treasures, the knowledge can be ours. How? By reading the word, by studying the word, by knowing the word. It's always going back to the word and to the Lord. The Holy Spirit reveals to us exactly what he is saying. The Lord cares for us so much that he tells us, you know what, are you lacking wisdom? Is anybody here lacking wisdom? And some days I lack wisdom. You know, am I? 
Where did I go? To the word. What does James 1, 5 say? If you lack wisdom, let us ask him. Who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. He wants to share that wisdom with us. In a, a, and this is, there's truth to this that it's not hidden. But listen to what Matthew 25, 11, 25, and 27 says. At this time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. What does he ask of us? To come to him with childlike faith and he will give it to us. We need to know that where we stand and that our full assurance is in Christ. We need to know how special we are to the Lord and how he wants to reveal to each of us his wisdom, his will. In, Re- in Revelations uh, three fifteen through 19, I'm just going to touch on this a little bit, but here was Laodicea. He's writing these letters. They're supposed to be circulating them. 30, 30 years later, in the book of Revelations, about 30 years, what does he say about the church of Laodicea? They were neither hot nor cold. He said that, um, that he wished that they were one or the other. They were lukewarm, and ultimately that he wanted to vomit them. And then ultimately what he says, that um, they didn't realize how wretched and miserable, blind and poor and naked they were. So he says to them um, that what he wanted was, I want you to correct and discipline. It, he's, what he says is he was going to correct and discipline everyone he loved. So be diligent and turn from your indifference, he says. And I think today that is so important because we have indifference. We need to turn from our indifference. We need to be diligent about that. And if any of us have a little bit of Laodicea in our life, the Lord is saying to us to be diligent and turn from our indifference. In verse 4, Paul didn't, didn't want the Colossians to be deceived by persuasive rhetoric of the false teachers, which assaulted that person of Christ. That's why throughout chapters 1 and 2, he stressed Christ's deity, his sufficiency both to save believers and to bring them to spiritual maturity. Man's knowledge and wisdom is gotten, gotten from the world is anything but truth. From the very beginning, there had been false teachers who tried to separate the converts from, those, from the realities of God. There is always going to be someone who wants to add something. And we, and we know it. We can talk to just about anybody. You talk to anybody who maybe is, you know, belongs to this kind of organization or this church or whatever. There's always something different. There's always something. It's not just Christ alone. One thing that we should, um, that should have triggered them and that should even trigger us, trigger us is that, you know what? We know it's false if it's of the flesh. And in verses uh, 5 through 10, let no one cheat you. It says, for I'm absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfast of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophies and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In verses 5 to 7, Paul, um, he'd, he'd become a part of that fellowship through his prayer. He was rejoicing to hear how great they were, how, how strong they were in their faith, and how things were in good order. 
Um, because he was a prisoner, he was unable to, he was unable to be with them, but his desire was to, was definitely to be there. He didn't mean, however, that this love and, um, that his love and his concern for them was any less. He wanted them to know that he was with them. Maybe not in, in the flesh, but definitely in the spirit. Their good discipline, the stability of their faith, these were both kind of military terms, but it brought, um, Paul great joy. Just great joy to his heart that he could hear such a good report. He says to walk in him. So to walk is like a, is a very familiar term as we know in the New Testament. And it really denotes what our daily conduct should be like. To walk in Christ is to live a pattern after his. We, we need to walk in the spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. If we're walking in the spirit, ladies, it truly is hard to be what we shouldn't be. And I, you know, and I think about that, and sometimes it's so easy, and it's so easy to get distracted. It is so easy to just cross over that line. You know, things look great out there, and, and it just, you know, I mean, it, I, the Lord has just really, has just ministered that, you know, it's such a fine line. It really is. And we need to make sure we stay on that straight and narrow. The world out there truly has nothing for us, and, and there's just, there's so much kooky stuff going on. You know, I, I talk to people, a lot of people, uh, all day long, and some of the things that I hear are just, it's crazy. And first of all, First of all, sorry about that. First of all, oh my God, the TV is just, it's a, what a crime. What a crime it really is. All of that, all of the channels of just garbage. And all day long, that's all people ever talk about is the different things. And I'm like, okay, but those really aren't your friends. You know, it's like a TV show there. You know, I mean, it's just crazy to me. It's like the way they talk. And they talk all day about all of these, all of these shows. And, and I mean, I'll tell you, nothing pleases me more than to say I truly, truly, truly do not know what they're talking about. And it's great because I don't have cable and I unplugged my antenna. So nothing was getting done around the house. So out came the, 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 the uh, antenna. But, you know, really, I don't, I'm, I love it. I love the fact that I could sit there and say, I have no idea. Zero zilch. So, but it's crazy. I'll tell you, I listen to it and I'm like, oh, these people are crazy. Anyway, um, verse 8 says, beware lest anyone cheat you through, you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and powers. Cheat you. Paul didn't want them to be robbed. He did not want them to be robbed. He did not want the false teachers to um, successfully to get into these people's lives. He didn't want them to believe lies. He didn't want them to be robbed of the truth, of salvation, of the blessings that he had. Um, he didn't want them to be carried away by these false teachings. The philosophy and the vain uh, deceit. And philosophy here means literally the love of wisdom. It appears only here in the New Testament. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false teachers who come in sheep's clothing. They're ravenous wolves. You know what? They sound like they've got words. And they sound like they're right. But they're ravenous wolves. 
There's always something because they don't point only to Christ. Those embracing the Colossian heresies uh, used it to describe, you know, this higher knowledge they claimed to have attained, and, and they were this, and they used these big words, and so they all sound great. But Paul equates the false teacher's philosophy to with empty or worthless deception. 1 Timothy 6.20 and 2 Corinthians 10.5. The basic principles of the world, <clears throat> the basic principles of the world are what? Elementary religious teachings. And they have a world system. The Greek grammar suggests that the, um, in this particular philosophy, it was talking about just about vain deceit, about being puffed up, about knowing that they had all of these words and they were this special elite. But Philippians 3.2 says to beware of dogs and evil workers. Paul didn't preach a system nor philosophy, but what did he preach? A person. Christ Jesus. Paul reminds them that it's not their great knowledge that brought them to Christ, but their simple faith. The world education builds up a man, and what happens then becomes vanity and pride, and God opposes those things. The Jews had followed these traditions of men, and and what happened? They missed their Messiah. Paul is saying, fix your thoughts and faith in Christ. Philosophy many times does what? Questions God. Having all of that knowledge starts you to question who God is. We need to have faith and not to question God's purpose. In Colossians uh, 9 and 2, 9 and 10, it says, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. The fullness of the power, the goodness, the wisdom was in the flesh of Jesus. The power of the body of Jesus was without measure. He was actually God with us, Emmanuel. He was the Spirit of God made real in the flesh. Verse 8, uh, 4, verifies that the, that the heretic philosophy is in accord with the traditions of men and not with Christ or in line with Christian doctrine. doctrine. All fullness of Godhead dwells in Jesus in the bodily form. Christ possesses the fullness of this divine nature and the attributes. Colossians 1.19 and John 1.14 through 16 tells us. In the bodily, in the Greek philosophy, in uh, Greek philosophical, philosophical thought, matter, the thought that matter was evil and spirit was good. This is an unthinkable, this is unthinkable that God would ever take on a human body for that. Paul proves wrong the false teachers by stressing the reality of Christ incarnate. Jesus was not only fully God, but he was fully human as well. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 tells us. This proves wrong the Colossian heresy denying the son's deity, that he possessed a body and that could, and that could die and make atonement for our sins. In verse 10, head means the authority, the principality, the power is referring to the highest rank of angelic beings. Believers had been filled by Jesus with the spiritual blessings that they needed. They were complete, and they were lacking nothing. Believers are complete in Christ, both positionally and they're made perfect in the perfect righteousness of God, Colossians 1.22 tells us, and the complete sufficiency of all heavenly resources for spiritual maturity in 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. The key word in the scripture here is in him. We're hidden Christ if we're Christians, if we call ourselves Christians. It's actually the, the, the blood that Jesus shed covering us. 
that hides us, that protects us from the enemy. Even the principalities and the powers are subject to him. John 14 says, 14, 10 says, do not believe that I am. Do you not believe that I am the father and the father in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does the work. The head of all principality and power, Jesus Christ is the creator and the ruler of the universe and all its spiritual beings. We need to just continue to, to understand that all of these things are under him. We're just constantly going back to Christ. You know, and, and once again, there's just the craziness of the world, how they always want to tell you this and that. And, and I'll tell you, that, you know, um, and, and it goes around. I mean, we all know it when the whole angel thing comes up and the angel worship and all this mysticism and all angels. Well, you know, I can't wait to tell the next time, next person that tells me that once again, you know, now they're subject to, to Christ. They're subject to Jesus. He's the creator. And, and it just amazes me how people want to, once again, they want to bring all of this stuff in and just how it circles around and circles around and circles around. And I just, you know, once again, going back to God, word, going back to Christ. And th- that's the one thing that, that the Lord has really, really just shown me that once again, you know what, it's not about giving out some sort of counsel. It's not like giving out Lorraine's wisdom because good luck if you ever get it. But you know what, it's about just going back, you know, to saying, well, this is what the word said. And I think I remember telling you, telling you years and years ago, the one thing I loved the most when I disciplined my kids was to say, it's God's word. You don't like it? Take it up with him. You know, I'm only disciplining you because he's telling me, discipline you. <laughs> you know, if you're not doing something right, you need to be disciplined. And it's God. It's his word. So, uh, and I just, you know, for me, that was always such a, such a saving, such a saving grace for me. It was like, yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I could do that in your name because that's what you want, Lord. So now we'll move on to let no one judge you versus, I'm going to clump all of this together and I'm, I don't have a lot of time. So it's verses 11 to 23. It says in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made alive together with him having forgiveness having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us with which was contrary to us. He, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And what a great picture. The circumcision that Christ is talking about here is the spiritual work that Christ does within us. Circumcision is a, it's not a physical, but obviously it's a spiritual, uh, whereby the ruling of the powers um, of the believer's flesh and their sinful nature is broken and it's removed by Christ. Um, the circumcision um, of the heart occurs when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Um, Jesus spiritually cuts away the flesh of our heart and he gives us a heart to be stayed on him. This is the heart that makes us that new creature in Christ. We should desire to please God and no longer be a woman of the flesh, but a spiritual woman. Our sins were nailed to that cross, and we have now been quickened by the Spirit through faith in Jesus. Paul used the ritual of uh, circumcision and baptism 
to demonstrate that it's Christ's work in us and it's nothing that we do. He gives us the salvation. He calls us. It's his prompting. Where, uh, where he says that we're buried with him in the baptism, this is not water baptism, but it's a baptism of the Spirit by which Christ brings the believer into an intimate relationship with himself and with his people, with the church, through the Holy Spirit. Because I'll tell you what, if we weren't Christians, a lot of us in here wouldn't get along at all. We probably wouldn't like each other very much. But because we have that that you know, um, that foundation and that fellowship with Christ, we like each other, you know, cause out in the world, I'll bet you a lot of, you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't have liked Lorraine, you know, surprisingly, I know, but you know, really you probably wouldn't have liked me. I, you know, but you know, and vice versa, who knows, but, uh, in Christ, in Christ, we, I mean, we can get along with each other and it's just, it's absolutely incredible. Um, risen signifies that God was raised, uh, had raised the Colossians from their sins, their habits, their values, uh, their guilt of their unconverted life, not allowing them to remain in their old ways in sin. And that's, that is incredible. Cause I just think about, you know, gosh, where did I come from? Who, where, who am I? Where did I come from? And I'm a different person. I am a totally different person than before I came to Christ. And I know that because my family knows that, you know, and my, and my family has commented on that. And I'm, for that, I'm extremely grateful. Uh, baptism illustrates our identification uh, with the death and resurrection of the life of Jesus. We were buried with Jesus and buried under the water. And, when, and we are also raised with him and raised up out of that water. Paul wrote the, that the circumcision is a spiritual cutting away of the flesh that Jesus performs in every in the life of every believer. Jesus' spiritual cutting away of that flesh gives us that heart. Uh, in verse 13, he talks about the trespasses, which means a willful disobedience. The penalty of sin is death, and we're condemned to eternal, eternal death before we even receive Jesus. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short and of short of the glory of God. And that's comforting that we've all been there. You know, it's not just some, it's not just a few, but we've all been there. So we can, none of us can say that any of us are better. I love the word all because he says he's forgiven us of all our trespasses. When he took our sin on his body and put it up on that cross, he wiped away all of our sins. When he rose on that third day, he gave us hope in Christ that we also will rise with him. The, the scripture tells us that we're forgiven for all of our trespasses in Colossians 1.14. God's free and complete forgiveness to sinners who put their faith in him. And it's the most important reality in scripture. And there's a lot of them here, ladies, that tell you you are forgiven. Psalm 32.1, Isaiah 1.18, Micah 7.18, Acts 10.43. Titus 3, 4 through 7, there's countless, countless scriptures um, that allows us to know that he has paid the price for us. Blotting out our sins um, uh, refers to like a handwritten certificate of debt, which a debtor acknowledged that he, would, that he owed and, um, and was unable to pay. That's what he did. It was something we could never do. We could never pay back the Lord for what he's done. And we have to understand that when he got up there, he nailed all that there. So we can't, we don't need to live in the past. We don't need to live with those things that are holding us down. The things that happened then. We're a new creature in Christ and we can move forward. Nailing it to the cross is like another metaphor once again for that forgiveness. 
when they nailed them to the cross, they listed their crimes um, of, a cruci- of the crucified criminal, and it was nailed on them to declare what violation, well, you know, what, what it was, what law they broke, um, what they were being punished for. And I'm like so grateful and thankful that my sins <laughs> are not on there, but they were on him. And he took them there for me. Believers' uh, sins were all put on Christ's account, nailed to that cross, and he paid the penalty in our place. The blotting out means that we were, they were done away with forever. Our sins was not covered, but it was blotted out. It's gone. Our sin died on the body when Christ was on the cross. And I just, I, that to me is so important because I'll tell you what, I can remember everything that everybody does that I think is against me or wrong or a sin or, you know, things that are happening. Yet he tells me mine are blotted out. He remembers no more. So what does he tell me to do, Lorraine? Don't remember them. Don't remember them. And I'll tell you, as I get older, sometimes that's pretty easy because <laughs> I forget a lot of stuff. And that is a good thing. It really is. It really, really is. You know, I, I think I've told you guys before my prayers that I become a sweet old lady. And so in order to do that, you know, I've got to remember to, to not remember those things that people do. I have to remember to move forward and, and let it go and give it to God. Give it to God. Lay it down before him. Let him take care of it. And don't worry if my feelings were hurt. Don't worry how I feel, but just to continue to move forward. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus has set us free. He opened the prison doors. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And he waits for us. He waits at that door. His arms are open. He says, Come to me got burdens if you're heavy laden come to me he said he's going to give you the rest it's him it's in and it's the lord alone he will set us free and it's the truth in his word that does that in verse 15 uh, the principalities and powers were like the rankings of demons and fallen angels in the satanic realm but what do we know jesus triumphed over satan through the cross as well. In 18, it says, let no one judge you in food or drink regarding festivals, festivals or new moons or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility of worshiping the angels. Um, he told them not to be vainly puffed up in their minds and not to hold fast to those things. Um, he wanted them to, um, to know that if they, if we died with Christ from just the basic principles of the world, that that's why that through living in the world, do I, do I subject myself to these regulations? He died for me. I'm not here to, to hold fast to all the laws, all these religious things, all the do's, all the don'ts. You know what? He set me free. Yes, I have freedoms. But you know what? I need to be careful. What are my freedoms? What are my Christian liberties? Well, the Spirit of the Lord will guide me. He'll direct me. The liberties doesn't mean that we're just free to willy-nilly do what we want. Does it mean that, that I can have an attitude because I feel like it? No. Does it mean, you know, what are my liberties? Can I go? What should I do? Should I go here? Should I go there? Should I watch this? Should I say that? 
No. You know what? We really need to make sure that we understand what our liberties is, and that is to do the will of God. Our kids seeing this, your kids seeing this in, in uh, first in the, when they're in the nursery, I'm free. I'm free. What are you free to be? Servant of the Lord. That's what your freedom is. Your freedom is that you can be that servant of the Lord. You know, you can praise him. You can talk to him. You can love because you're free to be that servant of the Lord. Um, the false teachers thought to impose, you know, dietary regulations um, by the because of the Mosaic law in Leviticus eight, eight uh, Leviticus eleven. And since they were under a new covenant, they didn't need to follow those. They didn't need to bring back that legalism that was once again trying to pull these people away from freedom in Christ. They accepted him freely. They they had tr- they trusted in the Lord. They had faith. They didn't need to come back, so they were trying to place on them, once again, these religious uh, regulations. The only judge that Christians should be concerned with is Jesus. Jesus has placed his law in our hearts. We call it a conscience, and we know. He guides us. What do we do? He's given us the Holy Spirit, right? We know. He tells the Holy Spirit will guide us. The Holy Spirit will send us where we need to go. The Holy Spirit will keep us on track. We need to make sure... That we're being sensitive to that, though. Because I'll tell you what, our flesh can kick up and the Holy Spirit's gone. You know, it's like, whoa, what happened? But you know what? We need to really make sure that we're seeking after the Lord, what he wants. In verse 18, the Gnostic um, thought that they, would need, that, they, that they would need an intermediary to communicate with God. And, the, and that the angels, they were the ones that served the function. They believed that Jesus was also just one of many angels who acted like, you know, as that mediator. And so um, they were wrong. And we need to make sure that we know that. If you know the word of God, you know that. But I'll tell you, it's once, once again, if you talk to people and you, they start to tell you some of their beliefs, somebody told me that Jesus was Michael the archangel. If you don't know the word of God, you might believe that. You have to know what the word says. Um, in verses 20 to 22, if we're dead with Christ to things of the flesh, uh, then the law has no power over us. Um, Mark 7:15 says, there is nothing from within a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him. God hasn't given us any regulations. He hasn't put any rules and, and hard laws on us. But you know what? It's what comes out that defiles us. So we need to be very careful in our mind. We need to make sure that, that we're doing that which calls that God has called us to. Um, in verse 23, I, I like, you know, uh, you could say, uh, which things do indeed have an appearance of wisdom consisting of self-imposed worship and false humility and severe treatment of the body. But this is of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Why would I want to torture myself like that? Why would I want to put myself through that? And that but because they were being told these things and weren't mature, that's why these things were starting to creep in. Um, Paul was, reminds us that there are many things that appear to be wise to the flesh of a man that are not necessarily wise in the sight of God. Um, it's good to crucify our flesh, but... If it's done to prove something to the world, then it's wrong. Our salvation lies in Christ alone, not in any type of worship on our part. So what we've learned tonight, ladies, is that we need to not be deceived. 
We need to not let anybody cheat us of that full assurance that we know. And we need to make sure that we're not letting anyone judge us for the freedoms that we have. It's not about holding those things. Uh, We do need to know that any time we share with anybody, we need to bring them back to Christ. Whenever we counsel, it's bringing them back to Christ. Whenever we're out in the world, we can still use God's word without quoting an absolute scripture. We can, we can use the living you know, translation to, to share with somebody that they get. But it's always bringing them back to Christ, always bringing them to the word of God for our sisters in the Lord who come to us. It's just bringing them right back. And I'll tell you what, sometimes I don't like to go back to the word of God. Sometimes I just want you to tell me I'm right. And I, you know, I, I just, I remember um, one, one time sharing with a lady who was just having, you know, tons of marital problems. And I'd say, well, and I was a new Christian, so sheesh, what did I know? Go to the word. Oh, how great was that? And I tell her, but the word says this, and we would read it. And then you know what? And I had to live it. And at that time, it was like, oh, I need to do that. And John might, you know, make me mad or something. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, oh, but I just told her she had to do it. That's good. That's, that, that's God's sense of humor. That truly is his sense of humor. He used that for me to realize what I needed to do. He wasn't using it for her. He was teaching me. He was telling me. Once again, why did I know that? Because I'd read it with her in God's word. We shared what we needed to do in and through God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your love. Lord, we just just want to thank you so much for your word, Father. Lord, for the truth in your word, Father. Lord, I just thank you that when we lack wisdom, you tell us that you'll give it to us, Father, and that we just need to seek after you. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would just pour into our hearts, Lord, the need to study your word, Father. Lord, the, the need to just seek out the truth, the nuggets, Father. Lord, please don't allow this world to just take hold of our hearts. Please don't allow it to pull us, to lead us astray, Lord God. Sometimes the world just seems to offer so many things, Father, that seem so enticing and so good, and yet they're not. Father, I pray that we would uh, just want to stand firm in our assurance in who we are. Father, that we even might persuade others to become a Christian, Father, because we know who we are in you and through you.